Good morning, everyone. So we're going to start with Genesis, which I think is in the beginning of your Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of that of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The, uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes, then the eyes of both were open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Job, Tony. Thank you. Liar. <laughs> right? The serpent. Did God say? Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. We're unpacking that. I'm glad you're here. And so uh, we're, we're zooming through the Old Testament, and we're just kind of uh, hitting major land stops as we go. But today we're talking about Adam and Eve, and, you know, men and women are different. And um, years ago, there's this company called REI. They just came to Omaha, and that was a big deal. But I've been a member since, like, the 80s, like way back when. And so uh, we're dating, my wife and I, and I thought, well, this is a great deal because, you know, your membership, you get dividends, you get discounts. And so I'm like, well, you, you should become a member because it's a great thing. Now, a as a man, I'm like, I enjoy this. I'd like you to enjoy it. We're, we're, it's something we can share in common, okay? As a woman, she's thinking, well, obviously you're not interested in me because you know that if we're married, we just need one account. And that thought never would enter my mind just because guys and girls are different in how we think. And there's a lot of other stories like that. Anyway, so, you know, you're, you're like, what? How did, you, how did you even get there? How do you think this way? And, and we, are, we are different on purpose for a reason, and, and uh, we're, we're meant to be together, and um, we'll talk about all that. So, okay, quiz time. Here we go. Grace Life Bible Church. We, uh, we value the text. We, we have four values that kind of drive us all towards discipleship. Knowing, experiencing, growing in grace, growing in healthy relationships, and then impacting the world. And it's all kind of logical. If we start with God's word, right, we, we experience that, and then we grow in that, and then we, out of a fullness, out of real-life change, we, we impact Whoever and everybody. So that's, that's some people like inverse that and like you got to go around and, and, and make people do things a certain way and, and that doesn't work that well. Okay, so this is who we are. We will uh, move on here. This is what we're doing, okay? Old covenant, new covenant. Old Testament is kind of a have to thing. New covenant is kind of a want to thing. There's a change in the heart. Just a fundamental, completely different deal. If you parachuted down in the Old Testament, you would be shocked at the, the ongoing nature of, of all the sacrifices. And, and, you know, they have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit would come and go. It's not a permanent thing. And then they would interview you. You're like, what? You mean you're from the other side of the cross and you have the Holy Spirit 24-7? Well, yeah, yeah. And you have the whole Word of God. And they, would, they, would, they would think we're spoiled. But anyway... Today, we're doing Adam and Eve, okay? We've done context, creation. We're just going to kind of keep moving through that and see what happens. But here we go. In the beginning, God. Stop right there. He is already around. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth 
was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we've talked about that before. We asked, why are we here? We concluded we're here to work. Work is not a, a result of sin. Labor is, you know, sweat and difficulty and roundup and crack cement and all the things that go bad and chipping, peeling paint. That's a part of uh, the fall. But um, we are here to work with God and to worship him as we work. Actually, you know, I said just in my introduction here, we're going to worship today and work tomorrow, but hopefully we'll still worship tomorrow, right? We don't want to lock that down to just a one-day thing. So we worship through our work, with our work. And uh, I want to dig into that, that, that phrase there, um, formless and void, okay? So God spoke and brought order where there was chaos. So the, the very first Opening verses of Genesis say the earth was formless and void. And some people, I talked about this last week, but some people like shove in millions of years there and say that, well, this and that, a bunch of stuff happened. And there, there's no textual need to do that. I'm going to show you how Moses is, is giving you a very clear introduction, creating the need, and a very clear conclusion, finished creating heaven and earth. And in between is, is what's important. So a bit of review, but this is... Um, Isaiah, Isaiah says this, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He didn't create it empty. Same word. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. So God didn't make it um, empty to be empty. He, he created it to be filled and full. And so when it says formless and void, void you get the idea. It's like it's not done. Watch what I'm about to do and see how I do it and how God does it is a clue for Adam and mankind, okay? So this is what's going on next. This is the bookends. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void. So in the beginning, it was not finished. And then by chapter 2, thus the heavens and earth were finished. So it's done. So in between those two bookends, we have the seven days. We talked about this last week, six days of creation and at the end of days one through three, where it used to be formless, now it's formed. He formed light. He formed the sky. He formed land and, and um, vegetation, sea waters. And it was all good. Good, good, good. Morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, and evening. The days four, five, and six, he filled it. Filled it full of you know, the sun, moon, and stars, birds, sea creatures, mankind. Evening, morning, good, good, good. And when he gets to day six, it says it was, it was very good. Everything's good until you get to Adam and Eve, and it was very good. In God's mind, a world run by Adam and Eve is very good. doesn't say that about anything else of his creation. So I observe that day seven is missing the evening and morning part. And, it, you know, you can kind of say, well, it, that's implied. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this going, Moses is on purpose here. What's here is on purpose. What's not is here is, is, is on purpose. I'm wondering if that's an invitation to extend his rule over his cosmic temple indefinitely. And that very much fits the ancient Near Eastern model where the king would take idols, images of himself, and put them in his temple. So everybody looks to that image and go, that is the God of our land. Well, God takes Adam and Eve in his image and puts them in his temple of creation, except he doesn't just drift off and leave them. He's working, we're working with him, co-ruling accountable stewards. So I think you have this whole relationship implicit here that God is with 
mankind as mankind works and worships. That, that, that's all through Scripture. In fact, look how the story ends. Let's go to Revelation. This, this is like fast forward a long time. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. The sea was no longer more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, preparing a bride. So that when it says the sea is no more, you really, I, I could go 30, 40 minutes here or a week on um, the context. To them, chaos was in the sea and the ocean. Okay? Um, they, they, don't, they don't swim. That, you know, the, the, the monsters, the deep, it's, it's evil, it's, it's the realm of chaos and darkness. So he's probably not saying here in the new world, there is no water. Chaos has been vanquished, okay? That's, that's how they're going to understand that. Anyway, that's not where I'm going. This is where I'm going. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The whole shout of Scripture is God with man. That, that's the point. Genesis 1 and 2, God with man. He creates everything, and he is inhabiting his throne, his celestial kingdom, with Adam and Eve as they work and worship, except chapter 3. And that's where we're going today. Okay, so this is... Um, this is, this is pretty exciting. So this is the title, Which Cycle Are You Riding? We're going to get off the crazy cycle, okay? This is the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle between men and women, Adam and Eve, is that without love, she reacts without respect, and he reacts without love. And once we find ourselves there, we've all been there, or maybe, maybe you have and you just don't know it, but, but we've been there. And, and um, usually it's like, how did we get here again? But it's a unicycle because typically the, the crazy cycle is kind of focused on self, just what I want, you know what I mean? And it's not really, it's not the place you find a lot of sacrificial stuff going on, love and whatnot. So the, the energizing cycle is a tandem, right? I see two people communicating and, and this is where you have his love motivates her respect and her respect motivates his love and, and this is a wonderful thing. And obviously I'm getting this from that book, uh, Love and Respect. And, Anyway, it's also in Ephesians, by the way. It's the Bible. <laughs> um, so the tandem thing is fun. We have a tandem, and we, we like to ride bikes. We do it a lot. And um, a tandem is kind of a different deal because um, the, the captain is the front person. I'm in the front, and so I can steer. I can shift. I can brake. Donna's the stoker at the back, and she has no steering. She has no brakes. She's just along for the ride and power. And so... Um, which is great. So a while ago, we were going down a hill, and I'm shifting down, 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 going fast as I can. We hit 45 miles an hour, and she's yelling, slow down. I'm like, no. I just kept going. There's nothing she can do. Anyway, it's kind of like we thought it's like a good marriage-like little thing. We thought it'd be fun to start like a marriage retreat, the tandem marriage retreat. Everybody gets on these bikes, and they go, and then, and then they have trouble. Communication. I don't know if this just came to my head. I don't know if I told you this, but years ago, I led canoe trips in uh, Wisconsin, and um, I was a single college guy leading these trips. Usually, it was like high school students. Well, this one trip was a marriage retreat, and I'm leading it. I'm like, I don't know anything about marriage. What, I don't, what do I do with a bunch of married couples? Like, like you know, you want to play tag? I don't know. What, what do we do? So anyway, so we're, we're going down the river. It's the Flambeau River, and I had been down it, you know, week after week. I just lived on the river. And, you know, there's some rocks that you had to navigate. And, and so um, there's this husband and wife um, just in front of me. Husband's in the back, and he steers. The wife is in the front. And they're going along, and she says, rock, left, rock, left. <laughs> now, what does that mean? 
does that mean there's a rock on the left, so go right? Or there's a rock, so go left? Well, they miscommunicated, and he went the wrong, stuck the paddle in, went the wrong way, and they, that canoe just went, just broached up. The whole front end is up in the air. She's up, you know, and they're stuck. And I'm, I kind of float by, and all, she puts the paddle on the canoe. You never do, do you? I, just, I kind of kept paddling, like, I'll, I'll just be downstream. Anyway, so we, yeah, communication is a big deal. And so um, what we want to do is we want to move from the crazy cycle toward the energizing cycle, and that involves the first atom, redemption, grace, and forgiveness, okay? So the, the crazy cycle is fueled by shame and blame. You did this, you always do this, you never do this. That's fuel for the crazy cycle. The energizing cycle rubs on love and respect, all right, and, and open communication. When this happens, this is how I feel instead of you always, you never. And so there's, there's a lot of tools here, but the question is, are you riding the crazy cycle? And if you're not this morning, you will eventually, because at some point we all gravitate to the crazy cycle because we live in a fallen world, we have fallen emotions, we're redeemed, and that's great, but um, things happen and, and we find ourselves there. So the other question today is, do you speak life into the room when you enter it? Do your words lift up and build up? Because God created everything with words. God, his answer to chaos was mere words. God didn't struggle in creating everything. He spoke. Where are you finding your identity? Are you hiding? They hid with leaves, fig leaves, and sometimes we hide with stuff. So these are questions we're going to be we're going to be digging into today. So we are created in his image, all right? We're created in his image because as images of God, we are meant to reflect his glory, and we usually want to keep it. We want to receive it. We don't want to reflect it, and that was Satan's big hang-up, and that is a big problem. In reflecting God's glory, we point to him and say, he is good. He made this place, and he is good. All right, that's, that's part of uh, discipleship. We point to him and say he's the one where we're going to find meaning, life, joy, happiness. And so, um, and it even says here, he created male and female to point to him to receive glory. So God, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So a uh, quick quiz here. Did God create man in his image? Yes. Did God create them male and female? This is really hard, but you guys are doing great. Are you one of the male or female that he created? And now it starts to get culturally more complex. How is it that our culture thinks they can simply undo the very nature of what God has done? And notice how our culture wants to do it. Words. Uh, call me they or it or whatever. And they think that they can undo male and female. And, and um, it's kind of like jumping out of a plane saying, I deny gravity. It works for a while, but eventually it, it's going to crash and burn. Anyway, so um, our culture, it just struck me that I was talking to, to you know, Larry the other day, and, and he brought this point up that, that our culture is so driven to be like God and redefining reality through how we use words. 
And, and God uses words to create, and we use words to, uh, to receive the glory, all right? All right, anyway, so I got four observations about Adam and Eve here. First off, I already mentioned it, uh, days one through six, good, 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 good. Day seven, very good. A world run by Adam and Eve is very good, and they're meant to work together. They're a team. Uh, this is exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to this, okay? So what does it mean to be in the image of God? Um, one definition is uh, it's part, it, it is to be a physical embodied representative of God, charged with the responsibility and privilege of worshiping God and working with God in his creation and pointing others to him. So, as I said, in the uh, ancient Near East, kings would put images of themselves, statues, all over the place. And that image pointed to the king and reminded people of who was king. And God creates Adam and Eve in his image, puts them in his kingdom. And we are supposed to point to him and remind everybody that he is God and he is good. Okay? So, um, it's also interesting in Scripture that Scripture is pretty clear. Don't make any idols. Because we, as image bearers, are the only thing that is suppo supposed to bear the image of God. And if you will point to God, we're not, there's not supposed to be other graven made images. It's, it's us. And, and we're supposed, supposed to reflect that glory. All right? So, um, our identity, our mission, our value, all of these things come from creation, right? Our identity as, as God's children, we're loved. Our mission is to, to spread order, beauty, and abundance through, through words and through work and through worship. Our value, all that. That is not the story you get if you read the newspaper in the ancient Near East, all right? Their papers were on papyrus, I suppose. But anyway, remember this. I just kind of zipped through it. You, you've got this whole chaotic story about the noisy group of gods and how that, that you know, um, Apsu hated the noisy gods. He wanted to kill them all, but Ea killed him first. And then, let me get it straight here. Tia marries Kingu. And then uh, they both wanted to keep killing the gods. But then Marduk enters the situation and says, here's the deal. I'll fight all these gods if you promise that I can rule supremely forever and ever. And they say, okay. And he beats them. And now that's why Marduk is their main god. And, and then he takes Tiamat and rips her in half and creates the sky and the earth. And, and mankind was created to do the, the work of the gods because they just are so tired and annoyed by the noise in their work. Here's a couple. Here's a quote or two, okay? Um, and it just just... Keep in mind how different this is from God's version of creation. This is from the, ancient, this is from the Enuma Elish. I will bring together blood and form bone. I will bring into being Lulu, whose name shall be man. I will create Lulu man, on whom the toil of the gods will be laid, that they may rest, that <laughs> the gods may rest. They bound Kingu, holding him before Ea. They inflicted on him the penalty and severed his blood vessels from Ea, from the blood of Ea, they created mankind, on whom he imposed the service of the gods and set the gods free. Isn't that interesting? The gods are trying to be free of their work and dump it on humans. And then it goes on. Um, the wise Ea had created mankind, and he had imposed the service of the gods upon them. The task is beyond comprehension. That's not like a, an amazing thing. It's like, it, it's just, it's perplexing in a burdensome way. So it's just, it's just to say in the context, Genesis is going to read completely different, that you have a God who lovingly seeks to be with his creation, gifts them, endows them with responsibility and real work, 
and, and longs to be with them. That's the story of the whole of Scripture. Very, very different than the culture that these people grow up in. Okay, so um, I've already mentioned that uh, work is part of the package. We are built to work, but we're built to work together. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So at this point, God is aware that that, that situation right there is not good. Man alone. Adam's not aware of that yet, okay? And so what... What this word helper means, you, you can really go sideways with this. I've, I've probably mentioned this before, but if you dig into it and you right-click on the Hebrew word and you look at all the, the context and how it's used, in Ugaritic, it means military assistant. So if you're a Jewish person and you're reading through this, you're, you're going to pick up on a flavor of this helper word that is vastly different than most of our culture understands. Military assistant, one who assists and encourages. All right? So help provides support for what is lacking in the one who has helped. I'm going to say it again. Help is providing support for what is lacking in the one who has helped. That is, Adam is not a complete package. He is deficient in some areas. And Eve is given to complement, all right? They're complementing each other, counterpart. It's literally... The woman was like him, but different. Like him, but, but opposite. So uh, it's like and similar in God's image, but so different that she can actually contribute and, and, and the differences are valuable. I mean, if they're so much the same, it's the same stuff, you just, you're, you get nowhere. So heads up here, if you're single, you, 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 you bear no less of God's image. Man alone is made in the image of God. Woman alone is made in the image of God. And yet together somehow in the marriage thing, they, they also bear the image of God. Okay, different, different degrees or angles or colors or whatever you want to call it. But just understand that um, your identity as male and female is not in finding someone else to give you your identity. And that happens in our culture a lot. I'm confused and lost, so I need a girl. Um, doesn't. Okay, so we'll, we'll just move on there. But anyway, um, you'll see that a lot on, on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so finding someone else is not the answer to all your identity questions. Uh, understanding who God is and your relationship with him will answer those deeper questions. And then I, ideally, you single people, ideally out of a fullness of your understanding of who you are in God's image, then you can give strength to someone instead of pulling it out of them to answer your questions, all right? So uh, we, we see community all over this passage in Genesis, Adam and Eve together and God with them. Togetherness is part of, part of what's going on here. And yet our culture, look at our culture, so many silos. Everybody has their own little silo. And I, I heard a podcast that talked about algorithmic silos. In our culture, it's possible to go to YouTube and go to the internet and you just type in and you create your, you find your own little universe with other people that, let, that agree with you or, or, and, and this is, and you never bump into other people. And the, the author said it used to be like, you know, 30, 50 years ago, there were 10 movies that everybody saw. Now there's 500 movies that nobody sees. The point is we don't share in common even social cultural things anymore because we have our own algorithmic silos where I experience this, I see this, and you do your thing. And so we, we've lost that sense of community. 
One of the values we have here is growing healthy relationships, and, and that involves just kind of pulling down those silos and bumping into people and sharing life's experiences, right? And I don't know if you've had the experience, but, uh, you know, the phone at, at meals, it, it's just a disruptor. And I know some authors I read that they, they, like, they, they pull out the drawer a certain time in the night, they turn it off, they put it in the drawer, they shut it. And, and I'm starting to think, that's, that's a good idea. Because, anyway. All right, so... Um, Community is part of the deal. So we can, we can be surrounded by people but feel alone. And that is a paradox that our culture has to struggle with. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with somebody else. And that's, I think we can, we can see the truth of that. Number two, Adam spoke and brought order. There was chaos, naming the animals. And so this is important to see. God enters darkness and chaos, formless and void, darkness, the surface of the deep, and God spoke, and God spoke, and God spoke, and there's beauty. And Adam enters the chaos of animals running everywhere. There's no, there's no names, phylums, and what are you, biology, zoology people, you know, no organization. So Adam just, he, he, he figures it out. But listen to the verse here. I love this. Now, this is Genesis 2, 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Did you hear that? God is, is wondering, what will Adam do? And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Imagine having a test. Here's your, your final test. By the way, whatever you put down, it's the right answer. <laughs> whatever Adam calls it, that's his name. You kind of, in my cynical, comical, narrow mind, I kind of wonder if Adam comes up with a name and God's like, okay, never would have thought of that, but okay, like hippopotamus, whatever. Okay, I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason, but um, all right. But now, after naming all the animals, he's looking around and goes, well, there's two of those and two of those, and there's one of me. Now God and Adam are on the same page. This aloneness thing is a problem, all right? God could have explained this to Adam. He could have said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, PowerPoint, bullet point one, man alone is not good. Bullet point number two, I'm, I, I got a solution. But he doesn't do that. He just throws Adam out there and says, hey, figure it out. Go name everything. And God knows where this is going. God knows that he wants him to, to figure it out. Um, so yesterday, we went to Lincoln. A friend of mine uh, used to work for uh, this couple they had rental properties. I suppose that's how it all started, you know, but we would fix things. Um, Marilyn had her 80th birthday, and it was fun to see everybody, people I grew up with. And, and Byron, this guy I used to work with, he was quite the character. Um, he took me once to one of the rental houses. I'm like in college during the summers or something. I don't know. High school, college. And um, he called me Johnny. He's the only one that ever called me Johnny. That like, Johnny! The, the house is here. The driveway was sloping into the house. The rain would you know, slope and get into the basement. Johnny, driveway sloping in. Jack it up. Make the water go the other way. I'm like, okay. What? Well, how? Get in the basement and knock out some blocks and just stick a jack, jack it up. And so I remember standing in the street looking at this sloping driveway and I said, okay, then after lunch, what? Like, like it's going to take a, he just laughed and laughed and laughed. So anyway, so I go in the basement and, and my point here is he, there wasn't a lot of steps. There's no Google back then, like how to raise a driveway. So I just smashed out like every 10 or 12 feet, uh, a cement block, 
in the basement, uh, you know, under the driveway, scooped out a bunch of dirt, and I would shove a jack in there. And of course, when you jack it up, what happens? The, the jack just goes down into the dirt. So I would wrestle it out and shove in bricks and boards and whatever I could find until it was firm, and then bust out another block and dig out the dirt, and the jack disappears and firm that up, and I did back and forth, back and forth, and eventually I got it so where the jacking would actually move the driveway. Then I'd run out the street, look, and I was like, oh wow, I got a big bow in the middle, and then so I, I just I would, and then I would jack it up and put in more junk, tires and bricks and whatever I could find under it, release the jack, and it would come down and back and forth. Who knows what the condition that, that whoever's busting this driveway up in the future is like, what in the world? Anyway, the, the point was that, that here was a job that, that, that it was really vague and it just sounds about impossible. And I had no instructions, which freed me up to just figure it out. And I love empowering my kids with figuring it out. Many times we're doing a rental work. Here's a toilet, brand new toilet. Jesse, you'll put it in. How do I do that? Well, I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? There's probably instructions. And so he would wrestle with it and figure it out. So that was good. Um, so I, I just love, I love that, that part about um, figuring it out. All right. So, um, all right. Moving along here. Number two. Could have explained it. Didn't explain it. Therefore, this verse is interesting. Um, then the man said, this is the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. The woman shall be called woman because she was taken out a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is, this is kind of interesting. Why doesn't it say a woman shall leave? Why does it say a man shall leave? It says this because it was the norm in the culture for the woman to leave her family and join the family of a man. The man didn't have to leave, all right? Um, when, when a couple got married, and usually this is super young, the women would be super young, they had to leave everything they knew. And they had to enter the, the husband's family, clan kind of thing, and, and rub shoulders with, with the mother-in-law and other sisters and relearn how to cook according to their taste, relearn the pecking order and all the homesickness that would come along with it. She just had to figure it out. I was going to say cowboy up and do it, but that, that culture... Anyway, she just had to figure it out. And here's the point. All of the burden of the stress of that new relationship fell on the woman. And here in Scripture, it's countering that. It's saying no, the man and woman need to both leave. In other words, guys, your culture has this all backwards. And guys, this is foundational to what I'm thinking about men and women. And this isn't working here. It's not all in the woman to, to move. The man has to leave. All the comfort, security, accolades, familiarity the man would have in his home, you need to leave that and lean on each other as you form a new relationship. And so this is a great example of, of a cultural correction at the beginning. And you might say, well, how come this is a cultural correction, but all the other sins aren't? I think because this is foundational. This is the very beginning of, of this is what my blueprint is. So... Um, that's what's, that's what's going on here. So, we see God speaking out. He creates order where there was chaos. Adam speaks out. He creates order where there was chaos, naming animals. And then we have silence. Adam's silence reintroduces chaos into creation. Here's a verse. So, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. The tree was 
desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, ate, and she gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Wow, that's where everything goes silent. I mean, sideways. Silence made it go sideways, okay? Uh, first off, the text says he was with her. Now, that phrase with her in other contexts is used of sexual intimacy. And so I, I'm not thinking you can read this and go, well, he's just somewhere in the 100 square miles. Maybe he's off on a trip. And he just didn't know that Eve was being... No, he's with her. He's hearing the serpent's conversation. And his silence allows this to roll right forward. His passivity, it just goes. All right? He had no manual. He didn't know what to do. How many times have you heard... How many times have you heard about other people's arguments where the guy is like, well, just tell me what you want. What do you want me to do? One, two, three, give me a list. That's what the guy is saying. Give me a manual. I'll follow the instructions if you just tell me what you're expecting. And the reality of that, man, is that we're expected to step in an area where there is no manual. We're supposed to just figure it out. And that's a big burden, I know, because you're like, well, how? yeah, you have to lean into the second Adam, Jesus, and figure out who he is, figure out how you've been gifted, and grow in your manliness in sacrificial love. And it's a lot easier to just start yelling about, give me a list. Different deal. In case you're wondering who's to blame for this whole thing, both Adam and Eve are. It's a, it's a team mess, all right? First Timothy says, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in transgression. Romans 5 says, sin entered the world through one man. All right, so uh, we'll just move on from there and not worry about blaming, because that's the crazy cycle, right? Um, but it's interesting that in terms of relational stuff like this, God seems to hold the man responsible for relationships in a way that he doesn't hold the woman responsible for relationships. Well, let me show you what I'm talking about. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. Eve is the one she heard, she took, she gave to her husband. And yet when God shows up, God doesn't say, Eve, where are you? He doesn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He says, Adam, what's gone wrong here? In Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Abraham, Sarah have no kid. Got some visitors here. And um, the visitors say to Sarah, this time next year, you'll have a kid. And Sarah's response is laughter. Interesting. It's not laughter of joy. It seems to be laughter of doubt. Like, yeah, right, that's going to happen. And what does God do? God doesn't go to Sarah and say, how, how come you doubt my power? God goes to Abraham. Abraham, how come your wife is not ready for my miraculous work? What have you been doing in your family that finds her lacking faith in me? Now, ultimately, she's responsible for, for her faith, but he's responsible to, to feed and nurture and, and, and support that. I find it fascinating that when, when, when a, a marriage, man and woman, there's a problem that God goes to the man and says, what's going on here? Isn't that interesting? Abraham, I'm sorry, Adam is responsible. They're a team here. And so Eve's fascination, her curiosity with everything the serpent said about being like God and did God say this should have prompted Adam to stand up, ditch the expectation of a list and go, um, something's not right here. At this point, I'm not really sure what it is. But honey, let's just slow down and let me get my bearings. Have you been in that situation? Sometimes men are, are quiet because I, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a PowerPoint with one, two, three, so I'm just going to say nothing. No, sometimes, like, slow down. Something doesn't seem right. I don't know what it is. 
let's just go to God, see what he would do. Um, it's kind of like this, in case this might help. Say you're moving a couch. Some, so your boss, get the couch upstairs, okay? Now, if you're getting the couch upstairs, you can't do it by yourself. You need to ask for help. And it would be smart for you to say, hey, anybody here got ideas? How can we get this up? Uh, you know, take the roof off, a window door or whatever. I mean, just ideas. But if, the, if you don't get the couch up, the boss isn't going to yell at your helpers. If he's a good boss, he's not going to yell anyway. But he's going he's to hold you account. You're the one that's supposed to get the couch up there. But if you're smart, you're going to talk to your military assistant who thinks differently. Like, Do you have any creative ideas about how we could get this couch up here? And that's, that's what's going on there. Okay, so here's, here's, um, here's another way to put it. What Eve does based in a lack of faith points to Adam's failure to guide his wife to the goodness of God. Speaking creates, silence destroys. Okay, how does silence impact the relationship? We have shame and blame. The new normal, and sadly the normal that you and I are very familiar with, relational shame and blame, that's just the new normal, all right? Um, but look at this, um, look at these words here. The, the, we're going to get into Satan's tactics. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all this in the world. And here we go. The desires of the flesh... The desires of the eye and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, it's from the world. Now, those three things are Satan's main attacks on you and me. This is where he goes when he wants to attack us, all right? Look at this. Look at the color matches, okay? Genesis, look what Eve. The woman saw it was good for food. It was a desire of the flesh. She, Eve saw it was a delight to the eyes. Sure enough, it is desire of the eyes. And it was desire to make one wise. And then down here, the pride of life. I think there's a close similarity there. In fact, so close that you can go and check this out. The tactics of the enemy, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, show up in the temptation of Genesis. She saw it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, desire to make one wise. And guess what? Temptation, Matthew 4, the same things. Food, hunger, turn the stones into bread. Oh, you can see all these kingdoms? I'll give them to you if you worship me. And this one, you, you aren't really who you say you are, pride of life. Show me by jumping off the temple and, oh, surely they'll catch you. If you are who you say you are, goading him to, to do that. So anyway, I just, it's super important that we understand that these, this is the way the enemy is going to attack us, through our desires, through, through what we see, and through our, our innate sense of uh, pride about pride and wisdom, what we want to accomplish. So, then the eyes of both of them, and, um, and they, they, everything goes sideways. All right, so another thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on this as we get to Abraham, but, but look at this, look at the pattern. This is Moses writing this down. Um, a couple of words jump out. The woman said to Eve said to her husband, Adam, Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And that's said in a negative way when Adam should have been leading or asking questions. He just followed and listened. She took fruit she gave to her husband and the result, there's shame and blame and fear. I was afraid and all this. Now you go uh, fast forward to chapter 16. Abraham, Sarah, she said to Abraham, Abraham agreed. Sarah took Hagar gave Hagar to her husband, and then shame and blame and passivity. We'll, we'll unpack that later, but I just wanted to show you that I think what's going on here is, is very much on purpose. The, the effects of sin impact us as men and women. If we don't know that, we're going to be on that crazy cycle 
fueling it with shame and blame, all right? Okay, so, wow. So they hide, they're afraid, they're naked. And then we get to this, this um, the shame and blame is classic. I've pointed this out before, but God says, where are you? And Adam says, that woman that you gave me, she. Now imagine if you're Eve at this point and she's, you know, they have love, vulnerability, openness, it, without sin, a great relationship. And then one day, Adam is pointing to her and say, everything that's wrong in the universe comes from her. Can you even imagine the fear and the damage and the walls that she's going to build up for self-preservation, which is understandable? Um, so the, the curses here on men and women, the, the childbirth and labor, those are curses. Um, again, the second Adam is, the, is the, the solution to all this. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. But check this out. By one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus is the answer to the crazy cycle and, and walking with him. So there's role reversals. Men go from strong initiators to passive avoiders. Women generally move from secure, worry-free helpers to uh, uncertain manipulators, controllers. Not every man is not like that. Every woman is not like that. But I'm reading this in Scripture, and it's my invitation to look at, at God's Word and going, okay, how am I doing with passivity? You know, well, and, and certainly there are times where it's very wise to be passive. Absolutely. It's, it might be very wise to be controlling. Like, look at the book of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, there's some like, just, just, wow, that's amazing strength. But it's always strength with faith. It's not, it's not manipulation out of fear. Okay? That, that's the whole difference there. So, um, again, healthy spirituality can look differently. So, um, the woman's fear and the man's fear, all right? The woman's fear, if he can't do his job, and if he points to me, what's tomorrow like? So I'm going to control my world. I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to be open to him. I'm not going to follow him. And his fear is, what if I can't do the work? What, what, what if something, what if, what if I get no instructions? And, and, I, and I try, but I fail. And so he, his fear is adequacy, her fear is control, intimacy. And so here we go. The, the crazy cycle, the energizing cycle, and um, Christ-like, this is male redemption. Sin pushes us out toward extremes of being a passive avoider or a macho jerk, aggressive, shout, shout everybody or shut up. And the more we walk right with Christ, we're more assertive, okay? What is assertive? Assertive is speaking up without yelling. Years ago, someone gave me a, a gift card for a car wash. I go through the car wash. The, the back was just a mess. They didn't do anything in the back. And I'm like, well, that's a, it's a freak. But I think they should, right? So I just, excuse me, how much more would it cost to have the back of the car cleaned? That was assertive. I, I didn't have to yell. And so um, for women, Christ-like trusting, in, instead of being just a, a helpless controller or an emasculating controller, just trusting and being open. And yes, there will be times of pain in both men's journey toward assertiveness and women's journey toward trusting. We, we experience pain. Jesus did too. We're not alone in that. Okay? So, um, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, see that you respect your husbands. 
And so all of this reminds me of um, how important it is that I look to Jesus for my identity questions. And then as he answers them, I'm in a position of strength and fullness to have a relationship. And that doesn't mean I'm never vulnerable or never a mess. That happens, right? But it's just different than looking to someone else to identify me. Like, like, if, like I'm a big question mark, okay? So some questions we have here. How are you doing speaking order, beauty, and abundance into the chaos of other people's lives? And I don't just mean fixing it. Maybe it's your own life. But um, God and Adam spoke where there's chaos with no manual, and life and order resulted. And that's going to come from, from the Spirit of God or from the Word of God. Where are you finding your identity? In another person or another person? You get the capitals there, right? How have you tried, or maybe you're trying to hide and cover up your relational fallenness through passivity or control? They hid themselves with leaves and blamed and shamed. And, and um, I bet you this week, if you pay attention to your heart and your motives, you're going to see some fig leaves through maybe good works or this or that. And sometimes those are the masks that we need to, we need to just drop. And it's scary to do that, but God is good, and it's okay. And uh, we want to be known as we really are, fully known and fully loved, that is an amazing security. So I'm going to wrap it up here. We'll pray, have some music. You can uh, meditate on these for a few minutes. We'll move on. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us on our worst day in the midst of our fallenness with our sin. We know sin breaks your heart. We don't want to treat it lightly. Uh, we also know that we can't do anything. We can't hide from it. We can't hide from you. So, in a sense, we resign, joyfully resign to your power and your love and your grace that, that you are good. You created us to work and to worship. You created us to be in fellowship, community, and teamwork. And yet we so frequently find ourselves hurt and want to push everybody away. We pray that we would conf confide in you and that your sufferings would give us hope and encouragement to wisely interact with others. Amen.